0: Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. Great to be back. And, of course, uh, season's coming to a conclusion here as far as the regular season in the National Football League. And somehow, some way, the NFL has been able to make it through all this time. And joining us here on Schooled with a Professor is Andrew Brandt, who... uh, writes for MMQB, also has the Business of Sports podcast, and so much more, and I know when we talked earlier this year, you know, the thought was, okay, they wouldn't be able to make it through most of the season. Uh, Right now, they made it through 208 games, at least after uh, week 14, and it does appear that they have a decent chance to get through the season and get through the season whole.
1: They do, John, and You know, we talked when this was going on in the spring, where it's like, okay, they're doing free agency as scheduled. They're doing draft as scheduled. They're doing preseason as scheduled, albeit on Zoom. And you're like, wow, you know, they're they're plowing through. And then you really wonder about, okay, what about the positives? Because in March, one positive shut down the NBA and all sports followed. And now we're dealing with dozens of positive tests, but we're playing through it with all their testing and tracing protocols. And, I mean, I just thought, as we look at this season, I thought two weeks ago the Ravens-Steelers, which ended up playing on a Wednesday, was the inflection point. Because 23 positives on the Ravens, nine straight days of positives, and they played it. Now I know they moved it to Wednesday, but they played it. So I'm looking at it, John, where they're playing through. If twenty three positives is not going to move the game to a week eighteen or cancel the game or then there's there's nothing. I mean there's no standard that's gonna pass that. So the NFL is determined and bullish in getting through this and it looks like they are.
0: Well, and that's the amazing thing because uh, you're right about, you know, the two big scares this year, Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, they delayed the game six days uh, past Thanksgiving to get the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game in. And then after that, I mean, they're spiking a little bit as far as the number of tests. I think it was, like, 32 or 33. Once that happened with Baltimore, but then you look at the last couple of weeks. What ended up happening is that uh, you know they try to now make sure players aren't there in the building Mondays and Tuesdays unless there's a Thursday game. And out of it, it was 18 positives the next week in week 13, and then only 14 in uh, week uh, in week 14. So it's like wow. They, yeah. And when you see the numbers coming down like that for a league of 2500 or 2600 players. This like hey they might be able to get through this
1: yeah they might i mean again my thought was when they were fused i guess if that's the right word to put the raven Steelers into a week 18 was that okay we're not going to do it for one game and who knows what's coming down the pike we're going to hold off that week 18 unless we absolutely positively 100 percent have to and now my feeling is That's not happening for the regular season, a week 18. They will potentially hold a week for playoffs because that's really the crown jewel for the season. But as I said, with the Ravens' inflection point and that precedent, because as a lawyer, I always look at precedent. There's nothing that's going to stop this season. I mean, and you referenced the Titans. If you remember, whatever that was, week four, five, six, it seemed like... We had a lot of movement. You know, we had Cam Newton get a positive and all of a sudden the Patriots aren't playing. We had the Titans pushed out a couple weeks and bye weeks changed around. We had the Bills Chiefs moved out of Thursday night. And, you know, those things don't seem to be happening later in the
0: season. How do you look at the the quality of play this year uh, without a preseason uh, without an off-season program, uh, what uh, what kind of football are we seeing?
1: Well, I'm not the best judge because I'm more my expertise is the business side, but I don't see much drop off. I really don't, which really is going to sort of maybe be bad news for. Her for the old guard that says you have to have this many practices and this much of an off season and the players and demoree smith and jc treader and eric winston have been telling us for years you don't need all that and maybe they're right <laughs> maybe they're right maybe you don't need all that and football is football and they show up and but from my vantage point the quality's been pretty good
0: now let's go on the economic side of it uh the more you talk to people and, you know, how damaging has it been economically for the national football league? Because certainly cost expenses have gone up. Uh, You know, there's been 18 teams that have had fans in the stands, but it's generated maybe I I guess one big cowboy game uh, uh, of revenue as far as uh, the total revenue of the tickets sold and all those different things. So what about the economic impact of the way this season has gone?
1: You know, ticket sales is going to be a hit. It's going to be a huge hit. It's not going to be as much of a hit as, say, baseball, which relies much more on ticket revenue as a bigger share of overall revenue than the NFL, which is predominant revenue source being broadcast. But it is a hit. And, you know, I estimated before the season that it would be a 20% hit with zero fans. So if it's a $15 billion business, 20% is $3 billion. that was no fans. But as we know, there have been smatterings of fans, even up to 25 or 30,000 at uh, Cowboys Stadium. So we'll see. I, I just think it's interesting because you and I are talking in the middle of the week, the week of December 15th, and that is the exact same time owners are meeting. And I used to go to these meetings every year, John. It's kind of the crop report on how we're going to look in 2021 for CAP, you know, are they going to try to keep it as close to the 198, that was the 2020 number, but steal from the future, or are they going to bring it down even more and how much of a dramatic diminishment it's going to be from this year?
0: Well, the one thing that uh, was on the table this week in the owners' meeting is the 17-game schedule, which you know it looks like that should be uh, you know going in, and that will be starting next year more more than likely. But what what how much do you think that economically can mean? Because certainly that 17th game now can be up for negotiation, and you know from the talks. Uh, at least maybe not the Thursday night game, but the networks may go up 65 to 80% as far as what they're paying on rights fees.
1: Yeah, when we talked in February, March, I was very vocal and openly critical of the CBA that I just thought the union was not getting enough for the major giveaway that is the 17th game that I assume would start next year. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. And go for 10 years and then never come back. I mean, I think the next CBA in 10 years would probably go to 18. But that's where we are. We start next year, I assume. I can't imagine the owners not wanting to do that. And we'll see where it goes. But as you referenced, for anyone not bullish on the NFL, because of COVID or because of any other reason, the ratings being a little bit down, check yourself you just referenced that the media deals are going to go crazy, despite the, the, you know, whatever percentage down in 2020. They're just going to go nuts because it is just such compelling programming for these networks compared to anything else they have.
0: One interesting story that emerged here in the last week is that uh, there, there may be some difficulty from some of the networks to go back and pay bigger money for Thursday night football. Uh, there's a thought that maybe it's going to end up being streamed on Amazon more than anything else. I mean, could you see that scenario? Because, you know, Thursday night games sometimes, you know, they get some pretty bad matchups. Certainly it's uh, maybe not the biggest moneymaker because all the – you want night games, no question about it. But uh, could you envision a scenario where the, the major networks don't get Thursday night football? Surprise me to see that
1: headline or see that report, John, because – I know how much Fox spent on this compared to what the price was before. I think CBS and NBC were splitting it. I think it's $3 billion plus over five years for Fox. Um, and they were only happy to jump in with both feet. And now reading that report that maybe it's not the pot of gold that they were thinking. That's interesting to me. So, yeah, I mean, as you know, it's not only on Fox, it's on Amazon Streaming. Um, It seems to be the way of the future for some NFL programming, certainly not anything on Sunday or Sunday night or Monday night. But we'll see. I can't believe there wouldn't be an adequate broadcast suitor for this.
0: And it sounds like there's going to be a lot of wrangling on on the uh, Sunday night package because it sounds like you know ESPN, which has Monday night football, may try to pair up with ABC and see if they can outbid uh, for the for the Sunday night games.
1: Yeah, that's pretty uh, well known secret right now that ESPN slash ABC wants even a bigger piece of NFL programming, and you just think about it from a practical point of view. Anyone who consumes ESPN knows how much shoulder programming there is around the NFL, almost almost as much, say, as the NFL Network. Uh, so naturally, they want more inventory, but they're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> that's good news to NFL owners.
0: Well, it's going to be a massive
1: <laughs> bid.
0: Now, right now, the uh, ESPN is paying uh, twice what the uh, other networks are on Sunday for the Monday night package. And so, uh, you know, there's a thought even that ESPN may may pick up some of the streaming rights, maybe do something with direct uh, takeaway from direct TV.
1: Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if that happens because, you know, ESPN is poised to really jump on this property after um, voluntarily, I guess, letting some of their properties go and choosing to streamline You know, and now the now with ESPN Plus and Disney Disney Plus, ESPN is armed with more weapons than it's had in the past because of streaming. They don't need to be uh, second chair to Amazon, Twitter, Google, Facebook, Yahoo. They have their own streaming services now.
0: What's also interesting, too, and of course, this goes into your expertise, is that uh, we know the floor for the cap next year could be one hundred and seventy five million dollars. But uh, so far, during the course of this season and even through the summer, the Players Association and the NFL has been they've been pretty cooperative to each other. They've been working together and you know getting through all this. Uh, do you think that the owners will try to find some way to uh, keep the salary cap near what, was, what is it, a 198.2 right now?
1: Yeah, I think so, John, and I referenced this earlier in our chat about borrowing from the future. So I think that's going to be a preferable course for both sides, for the union and the owners. You know, you could say on one hand, let's bring it down to 180, 175, and then we'll have the big jumps in future years once the media deals come in. But I just think they're going to go the other way. They're going to keep it as close to 198 as they can, maybe in the 190 to 195 range, almost like a flat cap, and then borrow against the future. So instead of the 2022 to 2023 cap going up 15 million, maybe it goes up 8 million or 9, 10 million, and the same thing the next year. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, long term, we can debate, but I get the sense that's what's going to happen. And we've got evidence now at the NBA, which lost a ton of revenues bubbling last year. They're doing a flat cap, 109 last year, 109 this year. And they're clearly going to borrow from the future because of that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, What other ways can they do that, to, Just aside from borrowing from the future? Because clearly, you know, with the network contracts due mostly in 2022, that that number is going to go yeah. up big as far as revenue.
1: Yeah, I don't know what else they can do because we can all do the math. Uh, no fans and i think they're going to get a, like i said a much better handle on what they lost so far this year but i think they've got to protect these teams you and i talk every february about the bloodletting i mean non covid years just veterans released right and left in february and march you know that's on a year with a with a 10% increase in the cap you know, think about a year with a 10% or 15-20% decrease, and I don't know if either the NFL or NFLPA wants that. where you are just going to have massive cuts to get under the cap. You've got teams in the 230 to 260 range right now. Um, obviously, a lot, of, and some of that's dead weight that would be gone anyway. But it's going to be an interesting off season, to say the least.
0: Yeah, of course, that's the one thing that I I look at and study all the time is that, uh, you know, how these contracts are going to go, because, you know, if there is a big decrease, it's going to be hard for any player who's a free agent to be able to max out uh, and you know, get what guys are getting right now at the top. Like, for example, I mean, can you afford a twenty two million dollar left tackle? Can you afford a twenty million dollar wide receiver? You know, and how, how would yeah. that all work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always say, if you really want to, you can. It's just a matter of priorities. This gets into the whole structuring of a team. I continue to think it's easier than ever to manage a cap because of the of the mandated four-year rookie deals. You know, say you're bringing on seven, eight drafted players a year over four years, that's 30 players on your roster so that's you know conservatively at most 30 million of cap for half your team so now you only need 100 you know for the other 150 170 million of cap for your other half of the team so it shouldn't be a problem it shouldn't but i understand dead money extra proration that gets in the way and teams have to be smart about it
0: yeah, how do you? Uh, I, I get the feeling because again, you look at the teams because again, they have the high numbers of uh, players that are the quarterbacks getting you know big contracts. What changes do you see in the NFC? Because you know that New Orleans may have Drew Brees retire, Philadelphia right now way over the cap, Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, and San Francisco deciding whether they want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, how do you see that sorting out? Because there's going to be more impact in the NFC than the AFC which has, you know, a good group of young quarterbacks, 10 or so, 10 or 11 who are starting that are in their rookie deals.
1: Yeah, you talked about quarterbacks and those teams you mentioned, and they're, they're all interesting ones, you know, and they all have their interesting answers. I think on the good side, you know, San Francisco does a good job of loading cap early in the contract, you know, sort of my method of cap management, Cash and cap as close as together as possible. So take a Garoppolo first year. I think he made 42 in cash. I think cap was like 37. So San Francisco did a good job of front loading cap. So if they have to get out of that deal, they're they're not they're fine. They're going to be in fine shape. Contrast that to Philadelphia, which did all the usual bonuses, option bonuses, roster bonuses rated pushed out money on Wentz. so my you know my feeling is they can't move them because it's cheaper to keep them with the dead money that would come in even if they found a trade partner it just wouldn't work and breeze is the same thing they've they've renegotiated and mortgaged that contract so many times it's going to be hellish if they if and when he leaves it's going to create a massive hole in their cap
0: Yeah, it's going to be some major changes. But, of course, this has been a year of change anyways and a very unusual year. Hey, so what do you have on MMQB and also on the Business of Sports uh, podcast?
1: Well, on Monday Morning Quarterback, I do talk about kind of what I mentioned with the Wentz because I want everyone to understand the ramifications. It's not as simple as, hey, the Colts want them, (laughs) so uh, you can trade them. It's not that easy. And I do sort of – I write about sort of these under appreciated cases, these long-term COVID cases. Rykel Armstead of Jacksonville, A.J. Dillon, Trent Brown, you know, on the COVID list for over a month. And in my podcast, Trey Wingo just left ESPN, and I sort of got him on talking about that. Uh, it's a nice conversation on the Business and Sports podcast. Last thing, John, for your listeners, I'm now starting a newsletter. It's free. So – I'll send it out every Sunday, uh, andrew-brandt.com to register.
0: That's fantastic. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on School with the Professor, and have yourself a good holiday.
1: Same to you, John.